I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Joining us today is Harry Stinson III. He is Director of Athletics and Recreational Services at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. He has served in this role since 2017. Prior to Lincoln, he worked for 12 years in college athletics in a variety of areas, and he's a former golf and baseball coach, a former track and field student athlete at Florida State, that other school. Go nose. Yes, I, I'm a hurricane, but we welcome you to the podcast. No, thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, this has been a great podcast and, pa- and platform. So I appreciate you allowing me to graze the mic with you. Well, thank you. Tell our listeners when and how you fell in love with sports. Oh, man, that that goes all the way back to the 19, I want to say 80 Olympics when I got a chance to watch, uh, well, no, 84. 84 is my father, uh, former student athlete himself from Pitt, uh, was a track and field student athlete, and he would record the Olympics, the entire Olympics on VHS. And so we would watch it together and so you watching Carl Lewis, uh, Flo Jo, you watching everybody compete um, on these VHS tapes at the end of the day so we can watch everything. So uh, first love was track and field that, that ended up being my, my um, <laughs> what kind of got me to college. But um, but then also just watching sports with my dad, who's an avid uh, fan of athletics, uh, watching him and watching television with him, watching NBA games, college basketball games. We watched the Final Four together from the start to the end back in the day when only the games was on CBS Yes, in the middle of the day. And so, um, so you know, and, and, and then, you know, my dad is a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So everything Pittsburgh, uh, we watched together. So, you know, just watching different, athletic events with my father going to different athletic events and then finding out that I was pretty good at athletics a little bit. So uh, that's where that love came from. Well, we're complete opposites. So we got a hurricane and a Seminole. 
you're a Steelers fan, I'm a Cowboys fan. But we're going to persevere here. We're going to get through this. <laughs> Describe your professional journey for our listeners. All right. So first and foremost, I am happy to serve. I just um, completed my fifth year at Lincoln University, the nation's first HBCU quiet as it's kept, we were the first ones to grant degrees. I know Cheney got their own little thing, um, but they weren't granting degrees. Um, uh, what was it? Wilberforce, they're the first private school, but they came about 10 years after us. Cheney started doing degrees about 12 years after us, but we started in 1854. And to give you some historical knowledge, that's 11 years prior to the emancipation. Wow. You have folks getting educated in the liberal arts from Princeton grads 11 years prior to emancipation. So um, give it up for Juneteenth and, and, and the opportunity to get a degree at an HBCU five miles over the Maryland border. So you five miles into freedom mm. in Pennsylvania 10 years prior to being the nation being freed. So um, I, I started my career as um, sport information director at the SIAC. And the thing that I say that kind of thrust me into an opportunity uh, for leadership has been that anytime anybody left a job, I took those duties on. So I probably had the long, longest title um, in college athletics because at one point I was interim commissioner slash director of, of marketing, communications, and championships for the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, a D2 conference um, based out of Atlanta. And um, I got that job as a sport information director right out of grad school at Georgia State. And uh, I just took all the things that I learned, took all the things that were uh, things that I really enjoy doing and married them. And so putting on events, hosting events, getting sponsorships, um, going out and, and running the championships to the whole communication side, putting games on television for the conference. Um, I negotiated the first non-NFL game to be on the NFL network. Back in 2007, okay. the Fountain City Classic, was the first non-college football game on the NFL Network, and that was between Fort Valley State and Albany State, right after each institution had some inductees into the um, Hall of Fame, so the NFL Hall of Fame, and they were graduates from those two institutions. So being able to put those schools on a platform, which was at that time the highest syndicated non-NFL game uh, as well. So it... Um, I, I was able to marry a whole bunch of different things onto into my career. And that allowed me as an interim commissioner uh, later on in, in my time at the SIAC to be able to rewrite the sport by sport bylaws, the, the, uh, the bylaws for the conference. And that got me introduced to compliance. So when I took my next job at Kentucky State University, I was able to go into compliance. So I was doing internal and external stuff at, at uh, Kentucky State. And so, um, and, and my career just kind of flourished because I had so many vantage points as a professor, as a 
college coach as a uh, now internal and external, um, jumping on a whole bunch of NCAA committees. I was on the committee for infractions for about nine years and ended up being the chair of that. Um, and ended up going and helping a friend at uh, Central State and was there for about 18 months before coming over to Lincoln. So six years at the SIAC, six years at Kentucky State, almost two at Central State, and then um, now five years here at Lincoln University. So God has truly blessed me to be in leadership roles in every place I've been or to ascend to the highest leadership role at those institutions. And now uh, being able to serve, and, and I call it serving, uh, being able to serve at Lincoln University. I started in uh, sports information as well back at Virginia Commonwealth University. Oh, so it's okay. a good basis for yeah. this industry because you Correct. get to develop relationships with coaches and with staff and with student athletes. Right, right. Now, what? And the media. And the media. Well, the media is either your best friend or your worst enemy. <laughs> and it's how right. you treat them that determines a lot of the, the coverage that you can get. Correct. Now, what did you learn as a college coach that helps you most now as an athletic administrator? I think understanding that your student athletes have a lot of things going on. Um that I necessarily didn't have as a student athlete. Mm. You know, they are going through a lot of different things, challenges at home, challenges at um, on campus. They have stress that, you know, I never thought of having to do things. You know, I never had the stress of trying to, I got a full scholarship, but I gotta go get a part-time job because my responsibility is to pay the cable bill at my mama's house. Yes. I didn't have that stress. So, okay, let me let me think of that. I didn't have that stress of let me go try to figure out some money because my mom got in a fight at a club and now I got to go figure out how to bail her out of jail. Yes. I didn't have that stress. So being able to be mindful of the things that they're going through that may be different from those things that I um, experienced and being able to understand that, okay, this person might be a little bit off. Let me talk to him and see what's going on today. And it, 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 I'm not only making decisions based upon my thought process, but I'm also making decisions based upon my student athletes and taking the time to be able to have discussions with them so that I can make administrative decisions that won't negatively affect them in the process or have too many unintended consequences. Yes, so yes. I, it, it helps me to see things broader um, and not just uh, administratively. So for current coaches who are looking to make that transition into administration, what advice do you have for them? Get involved, get engaged. And the biggest thing is to be something that somebody can turn to to help. You know, volunteerism and experiences are the only way to make it within this industry. Um, you know, I still volunteer. I, I just volunteered at the Final Four. Okay. But, you know, and, and I'm an athletic director, but I'm here checking in folks at, at the arena. 
And so that gives me that gives me exposure, that gives me connectivity, that gives me networking opportunities because I'm there in that space. So if you're trying to get into administration, you have to be in position that folks see you in a different capacity, as well as know that they can trust you. So being in those spaces where it's like, okay, you're a head football coach, you're a head basketball coach, okay, you should be volunteering to help take tickets or um, if there's a big event that's on your campus, you're hosting the softball championship for the NCAA, you should be trying to help out in, in some kind of way and not only thinking about your sport. And when you have conversations with your athletic administrators, also talk to them about a broader sense and not just your sport. Mm. How does your decision, what are the things that you're asking for? How's that going to affect um, the rest of the institution? Because that's what administrators, we can't just think about one sport or one season of sports. We have to think about, okay, if we put in a curfew, how is that going to affect these other teams? How's that going to affect, if we do housing over here, what, how's that going to affect um, all of our student athletes? So being a part of the global conversations, being a part of experiences that help the athletic department to function, that'll be the ways that you get your foot into the door for administration. So what I hear is you need to be visible Correct. and that, that visibility provides you access to people. And mm-hmm. once you have access to people, you need to be able to offer solutions for the entire program, not just your sport. Correct. Now, when you're hiring a head coach, what skill sets are you looking for in candidates? I'm looking for character. Mm. I'm looking for someone that is trustworthy because it's not hard to coach. It is not. It is not hard to coach. Dealing with people, that's hard. Being able to be a support for folks, that's hard because at some point you're going to be the punching bag. You're going to be the one that's going to have to manage all of these personalities. That's what made Phil Jackson and Steve Walsh and all these other folks. They were good X and O people, but as a head coach, you don't do much X and O's. You don't teach that. What you teach is how to connect with people and how to get the most out of people and putting them in the right uh, situation that they're able to have the skill set and the communication to effectively uh, do the things that you need them to do. So um, you couldn't put Michael Jordan in a zone defense. (laughs) He needed to float. He needed to have space and be able to do those things, but he was able to see those things. So when they ran the triangle offense and they ran a different one for every type of um, personnel. So sometimes they ran the equilateral, they ran the isosceles when they got more bigger men, uh, like a, a Will Purdue at center or Bill Cartwright, it was totally different. That that uh, triangle offense was totally different from the one that they ran when they had Dennis Rodman and Tony Kukoc. So, you know, being able to adjust to your personnel, being able to have the conversations, being able to put people in the right position, um, that's what head coaches do. So that comes down to character and, and ensuring that folks have the right experiences. Um, I tell people winning and losing does not keep or lose your job, but how you treat people does. Mm. I've hired folks for 
who have who have won championships, but they didn't treat the students that way because we can get new jobs. These students can't get these four or five years back that they have as a student athlete. So if we're messing up their experience, we're not we're not doing them any justice because they're going to lose connection to the institution, um, to the sport, to the teammates. They're going to be very selfish. And athletics is not a selfish sport. It's not a selfish anything. So I look for character. I look for folks who are experts and who want to be better because I take professional development very high. That's what I evaluate you for is professional development. If you're not getting better or if you're not understanding how the game is changing around you, then you're doing a disservice to our students. Because if you're not getting better, you're not providing those same tools to our student athletes. So they're not getting better. Now, coming from the HR side, we try to always develop matrix for when we're doing interviews. And a lot of people can pretend to be somebody through the interview process, and then you get a different person that shows up at the job. How do you access this character? It, it, it's such an important thing, but it's, it, it's hard to pinpoint. How have you been successful in assessing character in candidates? You know, the biggest thing that I, that I tell folks in the interview process, if you're interviewing, they know that you can do the job. Mm. But what they're doing is, and that's why you have two and three interviews, is trying to see if you're going to be the right fit. Can you connect with me? Does my gut say you're a good person? When we eat, do I get a good feel for you? So that's why you have interviews where you break bread. They just try to get a sense of, okay, can we relate? Can we connect? Can you talk? Can can you be someone that I can put in front of a mic? Or can you be someone that I can take to a donor event? Can you be those people for me? Because that's what I need. So they're just trying to see if they got a good feel for you. So I use that a, a, a lot of times, and it's it's been – uh, really good for me because I have good people around me that think like me. They're not exactly like me, but they think in the way that that uh, we, they think very globally. So when we bring folks around, does everybody have the same feeling about them um, from our discussions, from our walks and our talks? And um, it's just like I, I learned it from an old basketball coach. I don't care what you could do when you fresh. So his first part of a tryout or anything like that, mm -mm, I'm about to run, about to run you for about 20, 30 minutes. We all we're doing is that. And then the last part of it is, okay, cool. Now go hit these 10 free throws after you just ran them out. Now go uh do all these jump shots and stuff like that. I don't care about your highlights. I want to see what happened in the third quarter when y'all were down by five and you went in the huddle. So we got that thing that that a lot of folks don't have. We got tape. So I can go watch the tape of what you did during times when you were getting blown out or up by a whole lot. I can go see. So I look at those things. I I, I look at um, your relationships. Who I ask you who your mentors are. If you don't have any, that says a whole lot. I know Coach K still has mentors. So I, I, I assess people on a very granular level to try to see how they connect with other people. So your interview starts long before the application. Mm 
Correct. It's how you do your current job and how you do all of the other jobs and volunteer experiences that you've had that mm-hmm. will determine if you're even considered for an interview for a senior level position. Yes, yes. Now, when you're interviewing for administrative positions, are you looking for the same skill sets or something different? Yeah, I am looking for that same skill set. Character is big. You have to have integrity. You have to have good values. I'm looking at how you administrate. I'm looking at how you how you make people feel. You can do the job, but the difference is how you make people feel because I, I don't want to lose people because you had a bad interaction. Now, everybody's going to have a bad day, bad too. But if folks say that they can't work with you, if folks say, you know, have a lot of negative things about you, no matter what your work has done, you don't make people feel good. The people that excel have a way of impacting people. And we're in the people business. That's athletics. That's true. That's how you're able to get somebody to go from a a, a, a 10.5 to a, a, a 9.8 in the 100. Now, the skill it's that impact of that coach making him believe that, hey, I can make you go faster and faster and faster. So if you're able to build confidence and not tear people down, yeah, you're, you're a person that can that can excel in athletics, in athletic administration, because that's our job. We're there to build folks up. The answer can't be no. It might not be, it might not be right now. But the answer can't be no. If you make people feel like you're working for them to help them um, be successful, that's what gets you a long way in administration. Now, you and I both worked in compliance. And (laughs) compliance is one of the areas where people just generally want to hate you. So how do you, how did you develop relatability as a compliance officer? Trust. I, I built trust with them. They knew that if I had to say no, it's because I've exhausted every avenue to be able to try to get to the answer. Okay. And if I have to come with you and say no, okay, here, okay, we might not be able to do it this way, coach. That way is going to be a no. But if we do it this way, we might be able to get it done. And so they knew that I am not working against them. I'm working for them and with them to try to figure out, okay, you got an idea, let's figure that all out. Let's exhaust those things. I'm gonna call my colleagues. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to do all those things, but that's that's trust. And so they knew that I was working at the end of the day to make sure that we exhaust every avenue possible. And, and compliance is one of those things where there isn't a right and wrong answer a lot of times. Correct. There's a thing. There's a lot of things that you shouldn't do, and that just comes down to good ethics. But there's things that okay. There's always another way to get something accomplished. But let me get. Let me just figure out what you really want to do, and I can cater the idea around that versus that particular route that you're asking for us to go. So figuring out what the end result is, you're actually trying to achieve. And Correct. then crafting a path to get to that that may not be what they originally asked you about. 
So, right. so going back to listening too. Yeah, you have to be a great listener. Have to be. Now, for the candidates who you've not selected for positions, what critical skills did you find that they were lacking? Uh, a lot of times positions within athletics are dependent upon the need at that time. For instance, two seasons ago, I lost a very experienced basketball coach. I could have gone, gone out and gotten a really, really good coach, really, really young coach. I could have given somebody a chance, but I got 10 people returning. We were coming off a top 20 season. They're very experienced. They were ready to win right now. So we didn't have the time to allow for a new coach to have that the ups and downs of being a new coach, trying to figure themselves out. They got to come in and be able to continue to carry the torch because they already had a uh, they had a plan of action because they've been there before. So I chose a, a, a woman who was at a junior college, but she's coached at every level. She's won at every level. Uh, she had been in the game for a minute. Um, so she was the right choice for us at that right time. Had I had a really, really young team or something like that, or they needed to come in and do a culture, culture change and stuff like that, I could have probably went another route as far as as a coach. It really depends on what is needed at that time. As an administrator, they may be coming off of a compliance issue. So they're going to look for an AD that has some type of compliance background to help them get through that. And another time, the next hire that they may get may get maybe somebody with a fundraising background because they need to raise some money. It just depends. So it's hard to answer that question because every time there's a hire, there's a different need. And it might be a lot of needs, but there's a different main need. Um, so that may or may sway the, the hiring committee or, or at least me uh, because I needed somebody different at that particular time when we were hiring that particular um, position. So. so it sounds like if you're trying to be a candidate for a position, you really need to do the research to find out why the position is open and mm -hmm. what is critical to the athletic director at that specific point in time. Right. Not just taking a job because, hey, I want to be AD or, hey, I want to be a head coach. Are you the right fit for that program right now? Right now. Right now. Okay. Nick Saban was the right coach for Alabama at that time then. Then. Mm -hmm. The next coach that's coming after, after him, he's going to have a tough problem because he don't need to set culture. There, there's Everything is already established and everything else, you know. The guy that got chosen to be Coach K's uh, successor, he's the right coach for them right now. He ain't got to do a whole lot. He ain't got to fix the program. He don't have to, they are already ready-made machine that just come off of not even a Final Four, a championship run. So you need somebody that was right for them right now. And you need to determine and do your research, are you the right person for them right now?
So what else can candidates do to make themselves stand out in the interview process? Be (laughs) on time, be engaged. (laughs) Um, You make yourself stand out by just being yourself, showing your personality. Like that's what they need to know. They, They can see your wins and losses. They can see what you've done in your work, but they need to see the authentic you. So smile, have fun, engage, have a conversation, tell a story. But if that's not you, do you. Give them you in the interview. That's what they're trying to decide. They know you can do the job. You're in the interview. They know you can do the job. They're just trying to see if you can fit. And can we fit with you and can you fit with us? Now, many young professionals only look at Division I institutions for opportunities and get frustrated. Share some of the advantages of working in Division II athletics. There's a lot of advantages. One, you get a lot of you get a chance to really have a true impact. You're one or two people away from the president. At a D1, okay, the the only the AD is close to the president, maybe. But there's so many levels. There's a senior associate, an associate, an, a, an assistant, uh, and and, and that's on that's on the bench for for your basketball team. There's so many levels between you and upper management that your impact is only impacting one level up. When you're impacting at a division two, because we have smaller staffs, um, typically because we have smaller enrollment, you have. And when I say smaller, it's not that many division two schools that got 30, 40, 50, 60 thousand students. There's a lot between 5,000, 7,000, 10,000. There's a lot of institutions like that. So that's not a small school by any means, but in comparison to uh, Arizona State, they got 65,000 students and you got 7,000. Yeah, there's a lot of people. And there's a lot of distance between you and, and upper management, upper, upper, upper administration. So there's a bigger impact a quicker impact and you get an opportunity to see things uh, and and do things in in a global sense because of the fact that it may be you as a head coach, it may be you and one or two assistants. So y'all got to do everything. There may be as an AD, like I have my senior staff and there's six of us. So everybody has their area, but, I know at Ohio State, it's 40 of them. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, you moving up, man, you got a lot of things to, you know, you have a lot of places to move up. Uh, whereas here, I mean, you're, you're one or two people away from the AD or one or two people away from the president. And so your impact is bigger, stronger, and you have more opportunity to see things, experience things, and get a lot of work done under your belt. You've completed a lot of professional development programs through the NCAA, and you mentioned earlier how you judge coaches based on their professional development Mm -hmm. programs. How did your participation in those programs impact your professional network and your overall career advancement? Building a lot of different relationships, 
um, getting me in the room with the right people that can assist me with, with thought process. Um, and, and here's the little secret. You know, folks are going to have, especially minorities, they're going to have these misnomers about you. But it's not until you get in a room and you're able to speak their language and speak your knowledge that they begin to change their thought process about you. And the only way to do that is to do the professional development, to get in front of them, to be able to have them see you in a different light. Not just, you know, hey, that's the person from, from Lincoln University. No, that's the person that's on the management council that's trying to make an impact within our entire enterprise, not just HBCUs. That's the person that's on this committee. That's the person that I always see working. He was just at the final four working, but he's the vice president for the management council for division two. He's on the constitution committee, changing things for our entire uh, enterprise. So they see you in a different light. You get an opportunity to really talk and build relationships, the networking opportunities. Yeah, you learn some stuff, but for me, I learn more stuff about how to manage me mm. that I can take back and, and empower my, uh, the folks that work with me. And, and you, so I encourage them to go out and do professional development too, because it hones their skills on how to be a better, uh, how to figure out how to lead in their own way. And now you have people to talk to that have done that experience at the same time as you. Now you're connecting, but you guess what? Every time you're going somewhere, you got to look at polo on, got a lapel pin. So every time they see, oh, that's Harry from Lincoln, Lincoln University. Let me go talk about Lincoln University. You know, and so you're getting exposure, you're, you're in front of different folks, your network is growing, but they also see you for not just who you are physically, mm. but your mentality, your thought process, and your intellect. How you can help solve problems. Correct. How does your participation with the NCA committees that you mentioned help Lincoln University? It, it gets us into the room, the conversation, because I, I'm there. I'm I'm the one representing them. And so, but I'm not only representing them, I'm representing the CIAA conference. I'm representing uh, all the HBCUs that I've been a part of or um, are connected to. So it is um, me providing Lincoln a, another voice and the impact. So every time we have a vote, Guess what? <laughs> my name's on the roll. They put my name, Lincoln University. So everybody want to figure, okay, what's, what Lincoln is that? Uh, Lincoln PA. And so mm -hmm. every time I do an introduction, hi, I'm Harry Stinson, uh, athletic director at Lincoln University, the nation's first HBCU. That's what you get. And so now you're getting all of that and folks thinking about, oh, okay, well, if he's working there, then I know they're in good hands. Mm. So who else is he working with? Okay. My president. And then you see how well my president is connected and the things that she's doing. And so now you take a different thought process of who we are and what we do, especially big for minorities, because they got to see that exposure that you're doing things, not just for HBCUs, but for your enterprise. Now, you and I both consciously chose to work at HBCUs at different times. There's always a debate on 
is there still a place for HBCUs? How do you respond to that question, even still being asked? I mean, as you said, Lincoln University has been around prior to the Emancipation Proclamation, but people still question, is it needed? How do you respond to that? (laughs) Is education needed? Mm. Because... Yeah, we, we are HBCU, but look at what we're teaching. We're a liberal arts institution. So if you want to question whether or not we are needed, do you need to question whether or not Princeton and Harvard are, are needed because they're teaching a, a, a liberal arts education as well? Yes. Make the conversation about you know? a liberal arts. I love yeah, that. Yeah, liberal arts or a, a land-grant institution. So if you're looking at, okay, whether... FAMU is needed. Mm. Well, if FAMU is not needed, then Texas A&M is not needed because they're both land-grant institutions. All right. And I like that. So, so we're going to talk about um, the character. So don't look at our demographic because if we're looking at demographics, then then why do we still have some women's colleges? Or is Catholic Brown universities. University needed? Yeah. If you're going to question the HBCU, is needed. Does Brown and Spelman? Are they still needed? Uh, so you can't have that conversation because we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other things that are necessary. So do we still need Catholic universities? <laughs> do we still need faith-based institutions so we got a separation between uh, state and church? Right. And, and uh, quiet as it's kept, 40% of all universities are uh, connected to some type of religious institution. That's true. That is and true. not just the HBCUs. There are, I'm talking about over the 1,000 schools, 40% of them are faith-based. Southern Palm Beach, Methodist, Atlantic, Texas Lamar Christian. <laughs> Texas Christian. So uh-uh. you can't have a conversation with me because let's look at what, we, what, what we're providing as a service, not just the people that we're serving. Mm, what we provide as the service, as opposed to the people that we serve. I love that. Now, I know it was hard managing an athletic department during a pandemic. (laughs) What skill sets did you have to call on to get through that period of time? Patience. Patience and knowing that, you know, we we all like to be in control. And we all like to have a path. But every time you created a path, there was something else that came up. All right, we're going to test. All right, well, now we got to test three times a week. But you know, we got to wait for the results for this, which takes two days, or the rapid test, or this, or that. Can we get on the bus? What if this person was facing the other person? Patience. You got to have adaptability and patience. And those things are really pulled on. And, and I just got to the point where it's like, okay, you like it, I love it. And whatever changes that we need to make, we'll just make, you can't get mad at the question. You can't get mad at was the circumstances because everything is totally evolved. So let's be very adaptive. Let's be very patient. And we communicate. Okay, they're doing this over here. All right, let's, let's try to figure out the reason why. Okay, that makes sense. All right, cool. Let's try to impact that and put that into our system. And so you couldn't just get mad. You couldn't just do things in your own old way. You gotta be creative. You gotta think outside the box. But you got to be patient and adaptive. Uh, what sacrifices should young administrators expect to encounter 
to be successful in this industry? This industry is all about relationships. So you have to truly build the relationship in order to do the things that you, uh, to go to the places where you want to go, your goals is going to be dependent upon your relationships, not just who knows who you know, but who knows you mm. is a big thing. And you also got to understand too, that it's going to criticize because everybody has an idea about some type of athletic event and they're going to have the ability to get into the industry. So it's hard for folks to get into pharmaceuticals. It is not hard to get into athletics because every job within athletics is tied to another industry. Mm. And so the wherewithal is so wide. I tell everybody, there is not one major, there is not one industry that, there, that does not have a tie to athletics. But athletics, um, but it's not the same for other industries. Correct. And other enterprises. So you're going to have to sacrifice the big paycheck because there's so many people that's out there trying to get in sports. People want to get in the coaching. Well, guess what? Not only are you contending with the folks that never played a sport, that just love the sport, but you're also contending with the people that just retired from the sport. So, and then the age gap is, is so wide mm. because folks, folks are working at, folks are still in this industry, still working at their institution for 20 and 30 and 40 years. So your upward mobility is not going to be necessarily there. That's still a case. ADs may change, presidents may change, but that assistant AD that's over basketball that's been there since uh, uh, John Cheney was there. He stayed there for at Temple. He's still there at Temple. So what are you gonna do? You gonna take some, a job somewhere else, or you gonna wait until they retire? They were sixty when you got there. They gonna work. They got they got some years underneath them. They, so sacrifice your time, sacrifice your pay, um, because it, it does pay off. And it pays off through your relationships. Now it's overtime. All right, Harry, I'm going to start some sentences and I need you to finish them for me. Okay. The one thing I wish I knew before I sat in that AD chair was? The questions I should have been asking because you're, everybody's not going to think the way that you think and they're not going to have the experiences that you have. So you have to ask questions and don't assume anything. Don't assume anything. That's, mm -hmm. that's great. If I had a conversation with my younger self, I would prepare him for? The challenges of dealing with people and to always bet on yourself. Mm. So go out, the relationships that you've been are going to pay off and don't rely on your boss to help you. Rely on you to put yourself out there for other folks to see you as well. To have longevity in this industry, you need? 
flexibility and resilience because there's going to be so many ups and downs. There's going to be so many things and challenges that come your way that you need to be flexible and able to put yourself out there um, so that you can learn as much as you can from as many people uh, that you can and put your hand in a whole bunch of pots. The best advice I can give an aspiring director of athletics is? Get engaged, get involved, and do as much professional and personal development as you can and network, 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 and follow through. Contacting them. When I retire, I want to be remembered for? The impact I had on people. One folks that uh, feel like, hey, my relationship with Harry, when I worked with him, he truly um, poured into me and, and gave me a platform to do my best work. Is there any other parting advice you have for our listeners who desire to follow in your footsteps and either become head coaches or directors of athletics? Don't let your current situation define you and make sure that you give this industry and the people that you work with all of you and put yourself out there. Now, thank you so much. This has been a wealth of information for our listeners, and we appreciate your taking the time to join us today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.